You know, once upon a time, we all have skeletons in our closet. Once upon a time, I found myself doing a postdoc down in Princeton. We all have things to tell in confession. That took a long, that was a very heavy penance. It was a mob I was doing cancer research on P53. While I was there, I was asked to do a men's retreat on a weekend out at the Malvern Retreat House, men's retreat house out at the main, end of the main line. And they would have 300 men every weekend for all the weekends of the year. And uh, so I'd known many who would be on that, and I was glad to do one, and uh, to, over, to, to, to lead one. And uh, I had everything prepared in terms of conferences, but for a penance service, I was thinking of this gospel for the beginning of that. And I left that till I was on the road because I had lots to do in lab. And um, so I went and looked in the trunk of my car for a lectionary I had put in there. Years ago, there was a place, Thomas More Bookstore. It eventually got moved to the alley through the old, this, what we call the Smith Center now, the big cement, uh, what you would call it in Harvard Square, big high thing that uh, people talk about. And uh, so it had then become a Seabury, it become a Protestant bookstore, religious bookstore. And so I had picked up a lectionary there and threw it in the trunk of the car if I ever needed one. Are you with me? And so I went and I got that and I paged through to find this particular gospel in there and I couldn't find it. Now that's three years, three cycles, so 150, bang, 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 couldn't find it. So I, that was frustrating, so I went through again, I knew I'd find it, and I paged through and I didn't find it. And I said to myself, much as you would say in such a situation, George, you're really losing it, except your name isn't George. And so I went through a third time and I couldn't find it. And so I looked at the front of the thing, it said lectionary, so I paged in, and it wasn't a Catholic lectionary, but we share the lectionary with the other Protestants in many ways. It's not completely alike, but we try to work things together. And uh, I found out it was a particular church that left this gospel out. That left this gospel out. Now, could I say an aside, and you can buy it or not buy it, but one of the jobs I have is to stimulate everybody getting thinking about things, you know, getting the blood circulating and so on, even in the upper stories, right? And so there is a group, there are groups that are hyper this, hyper that, hyper Christian, hyper Catholic, hyper whatever, but sometimes they're the ones that don't observe the stuff, figure it's for everybody else. It's for them to tell everyone else off, but not themselves. Are you with me? Uh, my favorite example is the, uh, the Calvinist idea that Christmas was a grave danger. And so uh, in, this, in this country, in what we call Massachusetts, the first time school kids were given the day off for Christmas was 1870. That's an awful lot of Calvinism. That's an awful lot of Calvinism, don't you think? Dear Lord, maybe too much. Maybe too much. And then they have Hogmanay in Scotland, the first of January, which is a, a drug fest. So whatever danger Christmas could have been, January 1st, the new year more than makes up for it. You get the idea. There's also the matter that Luther was always saying, sola scriptura, that's valuable. The Protestant churches remind us justly and valuably of the importance of scripture, with which we never disagreed. But then the fact was, because it disagreed with what he said, he took the gospel of James and took it out of the, the book. All the, Catholic, all the Christian churches have 27 books in the New Testament, except them for that while, but then the Lutheran church brought that back in. But I digress, just to think, reflect on those things. Well, it is interesting how people sort of figure they know better than God what's to be done or better than Christ in that gospel. My favorite line along that line is by Voltaire. Before I use it, I want to ask your permission. Can I quote Voltaire in church? Would that be all right? 
That was a trick question. If we're hit by lightning, it'll be divided over all of us, not just me. <laughs> you know, little, little safety zone there. Anyway, just kidding. So the line for Voltaire, which I think really bats it out of the park, is, uh, and I'm just going to say this about men, I would not include, I would not assign the blame to women. Are you with? It is, uh, God made man in his image and likeness, and in return, men have been doing the same thing to God ever since. So we're making God as small as ourselves, almost like a slit. Squid St. Thomas Aquinas, second window there, that magnificent expositor of the Christian message, especially courageously encountering Aristotle and the best that was known in the universities and using that to draw out the implications of the Christian message. He said marvelously, with all his wisdom, brains, and, and firepower, that uh, God is so great and our abilities to speak and think and write so small that whenever we talk about God, we deny more than we affirm. Isn't that brilliant? That God is so great, our ability is so small that inevitably we narrow them. But then when we set out to narrow God, to make God as narrow as ourselves, that's a very different project and really should be called, the blasphemy, called out for the blasphemy that it is. And so there are cases of this. And you can see on television various people going on about various things. And at times it's almost as if they're every week trying to find a new group to hate. That being a Christian means hating this group, that group, the next group, the next group, the next group. And you really say, and Christianity is not a hate group. Our premier thing is love. In fact, St. Francis de Sales, when he was a student in Paris, uh, was uh, studying theology, among other things. And he had a teacher who was a crypto-Calvinist. I was insinuating Calvinist ideas about uh, that you would, the, the point being in Calvinism, that independent of the life you live, you could be condemned to hell to maintain God's power. Calvin was a lawyer, so he was looking after the power of God. And uh, so DeSales thought he might be condemned to hell. He finally, and he was not sleeping, eating, they thought he would die. And finally he, uh, he went and prayed in a church before the statue of Our Lady Deliverance and he saw the memoraria prayer, which we have here, if you have a chance, and he prayed that. And he prayed further that if I'm condemned to hell and none can praise you in hell, at least let me praise you here while I'm on earth. And all his doubts left him, and he adopted intuitively the Catholic point of view, which is that God is love. And he always has in store the best things for us and our best interests. And he isn't trying, he's, God is love, not power. Not love of power but love for us, the giving of self. And that's obvious at the moment from the crucifix, Holy Week, the child in the manger, and on, isn't it? Obviously. But there are always groups that counter to this, saying, oh, no, no, the Christian message has to be re reduced to some narrow framework and some narrow view and so on, making it smaller, making God smaller, making us a laughingstock. So years ago, at commencement, a group came from Topeka. It's sort of infamous. It calls itself a Baptist church. It's very unfair to the Baptist church. It's more like, as is justly said, a cult. It has nothing to do with the Baptists, who are a marvelous church. And they, uh, they, they picketed commencement about a particular issue in people. And uh, nobody paid attention because of the big crowds at commencement. They brushed past them. Uh, of course, they try to get you to lock into them so they can take you to court and make money. That's the, apparently the MO according to the newspapers. But then they came years later opposite Hillel. So Hillel's one block up or two blocks up just past the lampoon. And so the police put them across the street. And the question was what would happen? And so there was going to be a meeting of chaplains in the lower church of Memorial Church in the yard. And so I went over to it. And I was the only Christian there. 
It was all rabbis and one guy. And so uh, they, they said, the idea was, what will we do? And so I asked their advice, and they said, well, what do you think? I said, well, the only question I have is, should we give them the oxygen? Have you ever heard that term? The idea is, should you pay such attention to them that you actually enlarge their scope and they're being listened to when there's such a narrow group, why give it, why give it your attention? And the rabbi said, justly, we agree with you. However, our students think that people say that the Jews did not save themselves against the Holocaust or, or protest or work against the Holocaust, which isn't fair, which is wrong. And so in testimony to that, by example, they want to act and, and do something. And so they'll do something at a right angle or diagonally and so on. They decided to do things more or less of humor or just to do a send-ups, parodies and so on. And so I took their point. And so I went out, I was trying to get somebody to make a poster, nobody would. And so I got a blackboard, blackboard. I'll explain, it's sort of like a, a, a phone booth or a phone, a phone book, I'll explain later what a blackboard is. But anyway, I went out and got a blackboard and uh, I wrote on it four lines, two in yellow chalk, one in blue, one in red. And it went like this. And I held it in traffic on Mount Auburn Street, out on the street as traffic went by. And it said, God loves everybody, exclamation point. Dot, dot, dot. No exceptions, exclamation point. Then the blue chalk, dot, 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 even Yale. And then the red chalk, signed, Harvard Catholics. Now you may think I've gone too far. Some people say some days were too ecumenical. You know, Pope John went too far. And I take your point. But it's a great school, they're great people. Please, as, as everyone is a great people, every person is loved by God. If we haven't figured that out, how can we call ourselves Christian? How can we say we ever listened to Christ? How can we say we ever broke open the Gospels? How can we ever be apostles and evangelists to go out to the whole world? How can we be like St. Peter and be a rock of that devout truth? He who denied him, the greatest of sinners, when he needed him most, and then became the rock of the church. How can we ever be apostles to the world if, thinking of St. Paul, who was someone who went with to bring Christians back in chains on his way to Damascus, and then on that way to Damascus, fell from his high horse, the scales fell from his eyes, he realized indeed who Christ was, and he became his apostle to all the earth. So too should all of us be. And at the heart of that must be, everyone is worth being told of the great good news. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son. To condemn the world, no. Not to condemn the world, but to bring everyone to life. And to give them life, bring it, as says in John, to the full, John 10, 10, to bring them to life to the full, which we know in our various moments is what indeed we all need. And we need to present that to God. And we need to present that to the world. And we can't be go along getting in God's way, getting in the way of God's plan. You know, these are the scenes of Christ's public life and these are his initial life. In the very beginning is the incarnation before Christmas, the Annunciation. And what is it with our Blessed Mother, our first joyful mystery in the Rosary? That she is startled by the angel. The angel says, don't worry, <laughs> easy for an archangel to say. She's scared to death. <laughs> how would you feel? And then uh, how is this going to be after what she's told? And we all think of that when we have a move or a change, we're worried, and then we think of mechanism. How is this going to work? How will it happen? How will I do it? And she asks just those things. But then she opens her life to God's plan, to God's will for her. And that's God's plan for the whole world. Well, if you've ever allowed in your meditations yourself to think of it, 
your gifts, your temperament, your background, sadly the crosses you've had to bear and therefore they give you close understanding to what other people in the world bear. Your gifts for the life of the world are all for the life of the world and you are someone who has gifts and purpose and aim and a life that no one else has lived, could live or ever could or ever will. And therefore, we are all needed, including the woman caught in adultery. Now, I hate to sound like a mathematician, and I went to convent school, so I don't know much about these things, but I do think it needs, for adultery, you need two people. And here we have the woman, but no one mentions the man. There's also no proof for anything. Now, that wasn't the truth of uh, the Jewish teaching. The truth of the Jewish teaching, and I, I know it's Deuteronomy 22:22. Don't ask me how I could remember that. But then there's Leviticus 20:10, I think. And they both say the man as well as the woman should be stoned to death. There's no woman, there's no fellow there. It's almost like Adam, Eve gave me the apple and just deal with her. I think I'm gonna go take a break. I'm gonna get some coffee. And so we learn from that at the beginning of the Bible and then in this point here the many injustices of life, and in the hands of sinful people, treachery. So that we understand original sin as not something theoretical, but empirical. We've known it. We've seen it. We don't simply have to believe it. You can almost point to examples where it is. With immense courage, our Lord emptied himself and came to be with us and came into that scene and he was the verbum dei, the word of God's truth speaking copiously, and you thought they would be taking down notes and so on, but instead they were working to oppose him, working to trick him up, and were asking him questions not to learn, but only to trip him up. You really can't make this stuff up. In terms of being diabolical, could it get worse than that? Like studiously, militantly missing the point. But it gives us, like all examples of other people, we see things when we pause later, a day later, maybe I've done things like that, we get a chance to notice and have a change of heart. It's the very purpose of Lent, isn't it? For conversion, to have a larger view, a better vision, so that we let God in, who is wider and taller and greater than us. How important to read the lives of the saints. Each of them, in turn, had a life that was marvelous in its way, but they learned in the midst of the conversion to open their lives more fully still to God. This gospel, John 8, the eighth chapter of John's gospel, opens us to God's plan, to God's will for us as well. May we be like our Lord and defend other people and keep the world safe for them. In that solidarity lie, lies our hope. Let us also pray for the people of Ukraine. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.